following his no-show last week, we've substituted Zombie this time around. Welcome to Hand the Pod. on location for the second time in a week. Uh, <laughs> what location? It's, it's, out, it's outside our normal studio, okay, it's, it's recording on location. And the zombie substitute in question is Vinicius, and even as a non-dog person I have to say he's adorable. And zombie is Say hello. What were you trying to say, sir? Yeah, well, no, merely that zombie's vaguely terrifying and slightly annoying when we record, but that's it. Uh, as you'll just have heard, because I put the microphone right next to him, Vinicius is much, much quieter than Zombie, which is rather like saying he's a country that's smaller than Russia or something, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but this one also has a piece of meat inside his mouth, so he's <laughs> going to be quite, you know... He's having the beef joke. And the pod, as ever, is a family podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think what Astley actually meant by that. <laughs> as, as you've heard, uh, we're in Astley's uh, place. Say hello, Astley. Hello. Again. And welcome back to Hand of Pod. Uh, sitting beside me is Seba Garcia. Yeah, I'm not a dog person either, and this one has a Brazilian name, so <laughs> I'm thinking of leaving right now. Pardon the telephone ringing a second. Hola. Franco. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, say hello, Australian Dan as well. Hello, good evening. And English Dan is also here. Hello and good evening. Defending zombies' honour. Those long-term, longish-term listeners of Hand of Pod, or indeed those who, who started listening to us right before the Copa America, may remember Astley as the the person who, who helped us to get Tim Vickery on the show uh, for the Copa America preview. And we're, we're back here now. So, Astley, how's it been going, generally speaking, since we last recorded here right before the Copa? How's the Copa America... Uh, Everything else that's happened, we hear you've met Andres D'Alessandro and done an interview with him. And yeah, I had a vacation. <laughs> no, um, actually, it was Copa America was good for me because my favorite team won. I wanted Uruguay to win because I really believe. Uh, come on, did you say that before the Copa? Yes, I, I did. Think she did actually. Yeah, I did. Right Hello. So, so, somewhere buried in that two-hour-long two episode. I really say. liked Uruguayan national team, and, and as you know. Muslera was the goalkeeper. He went to my team after the Copa America to... Uh, yeah, but the captain, Diego Lugano... Diego Lugano went to back for, to Fenerbahce. Now to he's Fenerbahce. in not Paris Saint-Germain. He's not your favourite team, so... Your, no, your but team Lugano didn't one. bother me. I liked him oh, as okay. a player. <laughs> but Muslera was going to Galatasaray, so I was happy. I interviewed both of them. Your, your team being, just for the benefit of our listeners? Galatasaray in Turkey. And then I took a little break, and then, of course, we came back... The show started again, the TV show I'm doing about football in South America, weekly TV show that is, you can see it online. Well, we can put a link. If oh, I didn't know you could see it. Yeah, there is a link oh, that you can see them in HD now it's through Vimeo. With me on, on And you can see then next week yeah, on. <laughs> um, what happened is since Apertura started, instead of shooting a lot in Argentina, we preferred uh, doing more coverage in Brazil and in secondary division in Argentina because the quality of football is much better. The, in, in the second division than in, in first. In the second division, better than first. I mean, This is something Matias Almeida said a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're in the same boat with him, Almeida. Um, and the football quality or the lack of in generally speaking in Argentinian football was the issue that we talked about a lot when I interviewed Juan Pablo Varsky, which is a sports journalist, an Argentinian journalist, I'm sure a lot of people know. One of the highest profile, I think, yeah. sports okay. journalists. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. we've mentioned him actually because he sponsors, he, he, he gives out sponsored tweets on Twitter. Exactly. So no, he is topic. the guy who actually makes money out of tweeting, yeah, much more than he's probably his journal, his radio show or his TV program, 
And um, what we were talking about it is that what's happening to Argentine football. And he said, and he's an expert on this subject, corruption, uh, lack of money, and lack of infrastructure, information. We basically are watching games with people who are like between 17 to 20-year-old kids who don't even know how to actually throw a ball. I mean, they might be worse than me shooting penalties sometimes. And this is always a joke because I do it in every episode of my show. If I'm playing with a fo- you know, football player, I ask them to show me how to do it right. <laughs> and most of the time I do it right in heels. You're better than Diana Rose. Oh, thank you. Diana <laughs> um, Rose, sorry, I mispronounced it. And if Argentinian football continues to be this way, probably in a couple of years, we're not even, I mean, we're not going to want to watch it. Because everybody who has a little bit of talent is being sold before they're ready to go. I'm going to jump in at this point and say that if it is still this way in a couple of years, Hand of Pop will be as entertaining to listen to as ever. So <laughs> <laughs> um, You might be affecting our, our listening. And so meanwhile... <laughs> yeah, we can switch to another sport. Got, yeah. What happens is, meanwhile, Argentina is going through this really um, sequia, how would you say? Um, drought. Dry, drought, yeah. Uruguay, Brazil, and Paraguayan football is getting better and better in terms of the young... Um, Colombian as well. Colombia as well. Even Costa Rica <laughs> is doing better than Argentina to build a good infrastructure and keep fabricating, and I'm doing the um, football players, and I don't know. I mean, we, I've been to Brazil. I was in Porto Alegre, the best football experience in a long time. I could never believe how footballistic that town is. I mean, you're either from one team or another, and I'm dying to go. I'm going in December to see a, a Inter Gremio Clásico. Mm-hmm. Tell us about, you met, you met D'Alessandro and you, you got his yeah. shirt. We, it was like a four-day trip to find out the football craze in Porto Alegre. It's a city that football means everything to people. And they have great clubs. <clears throat> and we got a chance to talk to an Argentine football player who's, when everybody probably, they know who he is. And somebody from the old days, who's a friend, a very good friend of Ronaldinho, Tinga, and the new football um, boys boy, Damiao. And he told... Yeah, just mentioned that Ronaldinho came through Gremio. Exactly, so exactly. So Tinga knows him from Gremio years, and they were playing together. They were young, and, and, they, and he told us about how much, you know, they had the same kind of family, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and we're probably going to go and interview Ronaldinho next, so I'm on that. <laughs> And Andres was telling me about his career choices and how, I mean, he's really, literally trying, he's really happy to be so close to Argentina. And one of the things that I ask him and players like him, how much they miss when they're not in Argentina and they miss a lot. And most of them, they never actually stay their entire contracts in Europe. And it's whole issue about not being able to be totally assimilated to a culture, of course, because it's very different than theirs. You take someone from Paternal and you send him to Germany, Wolfsburg. Guy is dying there. He has, and these people are not international jet-setting travelers. They're ghetto boys who have no concept of anything but their neighborhoods. So you take the guy just because he has two great legs, put him there, and he said, you never get used to it. You miss everything about your neighborhood, even if it's not the nicest neighborhood in the world. That's interesting, because he actually did very well at Wolfsburg. Yeah, but he missed, he said that he always misses Argentina. Mm -hmm. And when he was in Zaragoza, I asked him if he left, because the team, I think they went went down the division. And he said that, of course he wasn't going to accept that, I don't know, but he said, there was an opportunity to come back. Ramon Diaz invited him to San Lorenzo. He comes here, but in six months they sold him to Inter, which is a club with a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. They have money. Porto Alegre has money. He also told me, we were talking about the, you know, the differences between Argentine football and Brazilian football, 
And he told me too, he's like, Argentinian football has no infrastructure. And Brazil has a lot of money, and they're invert, investing that money in football as well as other things. And they're, with, you know, they're planning on winning the World Cup. They're not going to lose. They're going to do everything in their power to win the World Cup in 2014. And Andres wants to finish his career in River. I'm sure that will be. Even though he's a Racing fan. He didn't knows. say that. He is. He, he I told him I was a Racing fan. Maybe he that's why he... He's a secret. He wants to keep it as a secret. He's very identified with River. I, I know for a fact he's a Racing fan. Well, I told him I was a Racing fan. Yeah. And then so we went to the game. They were playing with Atletico Mineiro. And I had access to the you know, field. And I don't get that chance a lot more often in Brazil because they just gave Brazilian journalists field mm -hmm. access. And I was right there, and they were walking to the stadium before the, it was his 150th game with Inter, you know, Inter Jersey. So he winks at me. Everybody <laughs> in the stadium is like, who's that girl? Why is he winking at me? And then the game was over. He left the game 10 minutes before, and I'm like, damn it, I'm not going to get to take the jersey because he told me at the interview he may be giving it to me. And, well, I saw him sit down at the bench, and we went there, and I was like, Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. He gave me a kiss and he goes, I said, so am I going to get the jersey? And he goes, of course. He took it out, gave it to me. The entire Beira Rio Stadium started <laughs> screaming. <laughs> of course, I mean, I took their number 10 jersey and it's like 150th time that he was playing with that number. So it was, it is a big deal for a lot of people, but it's a really big deal to me too. And it smells great as well. It doesn't smell... It doesn't really smell bad good. at all, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I dried it in the room before I, you know, flew back to Buenos Aires. It never smelled bad. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is he needs to run harder when he's playing. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, he's... Andres Alessandro is a lazy footballer. Right? No, <laughs> it was totally wet. soaking. No, the jersey was soaking wet, mm. but it didn't smell bad. But now for <laughs> listeners, is, this is great because if they send us an email uh, with, the, with the answer to what is the capital of Argentina, they, they, they can have the... Yeah, that's all yeah, we'll, yeah, be sure sure we'll be happy to yeah. do that. Nobody's <laughs> having that. <laughs> you know what, She's I already made, now, I already made that, that my new Kabbalah, uh -huh. because if Turkey, <laughs> Turkish national team, makes it to the World Cup in 2014, I'm planning on wearing the red and white <clears throat> uniform, because I really think... It's, it's, I think, the best gift I've ever gotten. I'd like to clarify that when you said Kabbalah just then, you didn't mean the peculiar religious practice. <laughs> practice yeah, Madonna's and Madonna. Madonna's you, you meant the lucky charm. Yeah. But don't worry, because our listeners, they don't know the capital of Argentina. So. No, <laughs> they <laughs> don't? No, they don't. No, I'm, I'm sure it's, they don't. It's a very difficult question to yeah. answer. You could ask them the capital of Buenos Aires province, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That'd be better. I, I just... Non-footballing, admittedly, but did you ask D'Alessandro about his uh, daughter at all? Because you know he has an English daughter. No. He said that he was coming back here because his girlfriend was pregnant again and he mm. wanted to have the son yeah, to his, be born here to his, be in Argentina. His first child was a daughter and she was born during his six-month spell on loan at Portsmouth. Oh. Uh, in Portsmouth, apparently, so... That's that's a completely irrelevant piece of information, but something. Yeah, that, so that's why I didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just be a little nugget there. I was together. talking Are you about sure him. It was his? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he must have a lot of kids. How many kids does he have? <laughs> Not as many as Garincha, I don't think. But. Yeah. No. Going back to what Ashley was saying before uh, about the differences between Brazil Brazilian football and Argentine football, I think it was great to hear from her, who has just been there, he, he, she's been talking to people in the know, and she's been living it and experiencing it, because it's the same that we, we've been saying when this domestic competition between Argentina and Brazil took place, and this is why we all thought Argentina were clearly the underdogs, and any, any result that Argentina could have gotten against Brazil would have been unexpected completely unexpected we should mention actually because we haven't recorded no, since yeah. the second leg they eventually no, lost 2-0 have you been to the first game I went to Cordoba to no, watch the first game okay. and I watched it behind the goal and it was amazing 
And the funny thing was, even Argentines that I interviewed that day, I'm like, so are you excited about the game, whatever they like? Yeah, we're going to see Ronaldinho play. <laughs> they were more excited to watch Brazilian players that day than their own national team. You know how sad that is? Yeah. And Argentines are famous to be very patriotic about their football team, and they hate Brazilians. Yeah, but it would have been so much different before this whole change in economics and, and before all the big names were coming back to Brazil because if we, if we would have played Brazil two or three years ago, none of those, none of those guys would have been in, in their local league and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been there. For example, Ronaldinho would have been at Barcelona or AC Milan. Even if the economic situation was the same today as it was then, Mm-hmm. Or maybe slightly slightly longer ago, Neymar would have moved already. Leandro Damião maybe yeah, would yeah, still be in Brazil, yeah. but maybe not. And so well, Damião yeah. is probably going to leave soon. He's two yeah. years, but he doesn't want to go. Mm. You no, know no, why no, they, no, wanna, no, they no, don't want to go? Because they they may not make as much as money they would have made outside. But mm. the same, I think the reason Andres was telling me sometimes your own farm mm. is much better than the, somebody else's palace. I mean, you feel great with your own people when you play in your language, when you hear people screaming in your name, when you get out of the field, you have your family there. Football players are very, very basic people. This is something that... They're not sophisticated travelers. They're very family-oriented. They have five kids. They're only 21. I mean, obviously, they're not like, oh, wow, I'm going to see the world out there and go to the museum kind of people because their job is to play and go home to a quiet place to rest. I was going to ask you something, Asla, because you said before about uh, Argentines, obviously, a lot of them go to Europe and they just don't feel at home, they get homesick and they don't feel like they fit in. Do they feel, say, more home in Brazil than, say, for example, Spain or Italy? Is that the impression you got from D'Alessandro? And is it yeah. kind of more similar to the culture in Brazil? Because we know from living in Argentina that those two countries kind of have a lot of cultural things in common with Argentina. Well, Andres said that the best thing that can, that best place in Europe for an Argentine player is Spain. He didn't yeah. say Italy, he said Spain. But now he's in Porto Alegre, which is hour and a half from home. I mean, if he has a day off, he can actually yeah. leave in the morning, spend an entire day with his friends, and go back home. Does he so do that? He, he does that sometimes? When they have time. And he can bring people, his, his money, to bring people in now yeah. for a 150 real flight. Yeah. It's not like you're going to you know, fly your friends to Spain. Mm-hmm. So I think he said Porta Alegre was a great place for Argentine players for the proximity and the similarity in culture because yeah, it's not yeah. like Rio. Mm-hmm. Porta Alegre is very... They're gauchos. Yeah, they're gauchos. It's like Argentina... Or Uruguay, that speaks Portuguese. And a lot of Spanish is spoken there as well. Yeah, they can understand everything you say. They're white. One of my favorite stories about Lionel Messi is that his very first day training with the Barcelona first team, he was walking across the car park after, after getting into training. And heard this somebody shout with a faultless Argentine accent, shout, Che boludo, across the car park at him. And he turned around and it was Ronaldinho. <laughs> That's yeah, probably... It's, um, they call, they say Che in Porto Alegre. Mm. I don't think they say boludo, but mm. that's the city to live. Because, and, but it's serious. Everybody talks about the rivalry. It's not like Boca River or Racing Independiente. It's more than that. I mean, people do not get married to each other. I think mm. if we had to say it, it would probably be more similar to Racing Independiente than... River Boca, because obviously, the same city. Independiente is all in one city in Avellaneda. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people probably don't realize it. Yeah. They're not in Argentina, but it's a separate city to Buenos Aires, whereas you've got Boca and River, who are two teams out of, it must be about 20 kind of decent first and second division teams in the city of Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, they're kind of, when you have the, the rivalry that much more compacted and you know, you're either one or the other. You definitely get that. A bit well, it's like Sebo's told us before. You go to, you know, you go to primary school and you're you're with, you know, yeah. three quarters yeah. of the people support, you know, or, you know, support one of the two teams, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's where these kind of rivals, rivalries grow out. of. I'm wondering if we can now bring this into because we have talked about this for, for some time, and I've got to edit tomorrow, uh, <laughs> even taking into account Venetia's visit to the toilet. Incident. <laughs> um, 
Which I'll have edited out, by the way, for, for listeners who are wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Now the, the dog went to the toilet on the carpet earlier. It was very funny. <laughs> but it took about ten minutes to clean up. The Afghan carpet. Anyway, um, we've just mentioned Racing Against Independiente, um, and of course that was played on Sunday? Sunday. Sunday. Uh, don't act like you don't know. <laughs> no, you don't I'm, have a classic of this year. I'm, I'm we're going to be, be there for you. We're going to be there for Bocas Unidos in Rio. <laughs> hey, we're going we're gonna to get on to the other, to River's Classico at the weekend later on. I think that was a classico. It's not really a classico, but it's a big historic, you know, in between the sides of the second division. Yeah. No, but uh, when they were in the first division, history. they were big rivals. There was yeah. a big announcement at the start, because I went with Tazla, and a big announcement at the start of the game was like, this is the first time historically that the two teams have met out of the first division everyone's like oh <laughs> I'm not sure why they even said it because it's quite a dampener on there yeah, maybe because River never played outside the first well, yeah, division yeah. maybe anyway we're going to talk first of all about Racing Independiente because both of our resident Racing fans were at that match uh, mm-hmm. Seba in the press box were you? Or? Um, no, you went to I the girls' section. You left me and went to the girls' section. That's partly true. You have to explain them the girls' section that I'm talking about. Yeah, I will, I will, I will. Yeah. Uh, it was 1 p.m. and I was at home. I had no plans to go into the, to the match. And then I got a text from a friend who said, okay, I have a press pass available. Do you want to come? And I said, how am I going to get there? I, I, there's no time. It's three hours before kickoff. I live an hour and a half from the ground. And he said, I'll pick you up in at two and we'll drive there. And I said, okay, yeah, you leave me no option. <laughs> I will go. So I, I got in the, in, in, in the ground, well, in the stadium with a press pass. And then once you get access with the press pass, you can... You can Mm-hmm. Mix with the people and, and go to another. Yeah, we can, you can go to another place in the sitting areas, but uh, to the platea though. Yeah, you I want to the opposite. Popular or second part. Yeah, I, I really want to go up to watch it from the from the upper tier. Yeah, they don't let you go there though. They only uh, let you go towards that right side where yeah. you where you went. Yeah, so I went all the way towards the corner flag, one of the corner flags, um, and there's a there's a section. As Lich just mentioned, and it's true, it's a section for the female uh, Racing members. And three of my cousins, I have four old girls, they were all they were all there watching Racing. So we were um, with a fence in between, but we were talking to each other during the game. So and I did it partly because last time I did the same Racing one two nil, and it was it was all looking pretty much the same because. Uh, Auche, who was the, f- the, the the player who scored the first goal yeah. last time around, did the same only one minute into the match, actually 52 seconds. And he was all going in, in the right direction for Racing. You couldn't ask for, ask for more. It was a full house and, and one minute into the game, it's it's already 1-0 up. But then the, the, the usual thing that's, that's been happening to Racing during this apertura happened again and, and Simeone somehow sent the, the team to, into defensive mode. Although Simeone is saying that he has nothing to do with this, it's not his ventures out I don't believe him either that he's pretty it. adamant that he's not he's not got anything to do with this. You could have in fairness you could have doubled the lead before ten minutes. It's not as if the team stopped attacking immediately. Mm. had a couple of good chances in the last couple of minutes. But I thought it was uh, probably one odd chance in a counter attack because, and I don't remember clearly the the, the play you're referring to, but uh, it was evident you could see that, for example, Giovanni Moreno, who's supposed to be the playmaker and who's supposed to be an offensive uh, presence, he was playing be. Uh, behind the midfield line all the time as a number five maybe as a central midfielder and and all of a sudden when Independiente scored the equalizer halfway Facundo through Parra. Facundo Parra halfway through the first half all of a sudden right after that you you saw Auche and Teófilo and Giovanni Moreno and Luciano Webb all in again in, in attacking positions and it was the first time since Racing scored so it, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it because it happened on Sunday and that's it. It happened since the start of the. It's been a recurring feature. 
it has been like this and, and Racing dropped points from winning positions yeah. four times already and yeah but last year as well so I mean last season as well right not so well, much last season it's more because last season Racing was so bad at the back yeah. it happens we uh, had no up keeper, to a point yeah, yeah. they had no keeper but yeah I think I had pretty similar impressions to several of the game I wasn't in the in the women's stand, I was. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't in the women's stand. I just well, fair you. enough. Fair enough. I was you close know. to it. Uh, close to, I wasn't particularly close to it either. I was <laughs> in the terraces and in a stand which was more packed than I've ever seen it. I know that both um, popular ladder sections were completely sold out, and I think the whole stadium was sold out. Actually, it was pretty incredible the amount of people that they got in the stadium. And you know, after a minute, we were absolutely overjoyed. That kind of joy lasted about ten minutes, and then you saw. They're not pushing for another. This is going to end up in an equaliser, and it came. And you kind of saw where the game was going after that. Once Independiente levelled it, Racing weren't going to turn it around again. Yeah, and and how many people were there at the Popular section? Was, I, think it was I was just saying it was packed. It was so uncomfortable. It was un- unimaginable. I saw all the avalanches, you know, from yeah. where I was sitting. It was like. Yeah. No, avalanches without the power. Ah, right. <laughs> there were so many like movements. In yeah, it. Like, it looked like it was so much more than usually it was. It was a lot more than people. usual. And it's usually, you know, it's not exactly luxury at the best of times. But luckily, you know, we've gone and had a bit of a, a pre-match, pre-match drinking and all that. So really, you know, a little bit more relaxed and comfortable than otherwise. But still, you know, I think the whole game I had some big guy with a shelf about... Here, you know, right in front of me on the same step. <laughs> Which, if we won 4 0, would have been wonderful. You know, I'd have had my arms around him the whole game. But <laughs> a draw against Independiente, not so much. And I think, yeah, we were kind of let down by the fact the players that Racing usually expect to come through had an off day. Um, Gio played possibly his worst match for Racing since and he joined. And entered so late. Luguercio is. Awful. He should probably just go. You don't like it? I hate the word no. I, have to, I have to agree useless. with Dan on this one. I think really? Racing would have been better off if the worst they hadn't entered. No, but he, when he entered, the team actually sort of played a little better after but that's, he. That's in part because the no. worst doesn't really know what to do apart from run around like a headless chicken. Exactly. And exactly. when he came on, Racing were in need of somebody who was going to run yeah. around like a headless chicken. Oh, okay. It's not necessarily because he's a good no, player. I thought Gio was a big uh, victim of Simeone's system in this case. And yeah. he had nobody to pass the ball to. And I, I thought that every time a Racing player wa- uh, was on the ball, mm. he had two Independiente players near and nobody to, to pass yeah. it around. And I thought Independiente was the best team. Cause all, thing, all things considered, um, they have a, a new manager who has been working with them for a short time, they have on, on paper a weaker team, and, yeah. uh, and the position in the standings is also was also in Racing's favor, and they were playing away. So I thought they overachieved, and they 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 took a point that they really deserved. And if there ever was going to be a winner, maybe Racing pushed them a little bit more and then we had near the end. Missed mm. a very good chance at the end. But I think I'd agree with you completely. What Independiente have. They, everyone could see that they have an inferior team to Racing this year, but they came to the stadium with a really kind of defined game plan. They knew that they were going to play for the draw, that they had to kind of pressure from the halfway line onwards and really kind of get in Racing's face, get in Gio's face and close down Teo. And they, they did it perfectly. Like We all know Ramon Diaz is one of the best managers around and his game plan on, on Sunday, apart from you know the goal, which was a little bit of a freak, we could probably say after 50 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, apart from that, they executed their game plan perfectly. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I and I think to sum it up, maybe we. we you never we, talked about one thing though. Um, Independiente played Sudamericana game with their. Yeah, but mostly with with their substitutes, yeah. just yeah. because they wanted to make sure that they mm-hmm. won the yeah. Clásico. I think yeah. it was a important mm-hmm. detail that our listeners know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, like this is such an though. important game for Ramon Diaz. Yeah. That oh, was he, like key, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it was a key game for him. Yeah. And more than anything, because even with their first team, they could probably expect to lose to Liga de Quito with obviously their Quito altitude and everything. So they had to put their their second team out in that game to arrive 
around yeah. well for the And to come from there with only a 2 0 defeat, I think, yeah, very, I think it's something they could turn around. I think yeah. uh, what Ramon Diaz did in the end turned out to be a very intelligent mm. uh, couple of decisions there. Yeah. But I think to sum it up, uh, this friend who invited me with the press pass is a massive Independiente fan. Right. And he, I, I have him to thank for the ticket I got yeah. for uh, the day Racing won the league for the first time in my life in, in 2001. And he was an Independiente fan and he did everything he could just to find me a ticket. So uh, that, that uh, I guess, is because we are really uh, good friends. And we were going to the stadium and, and he said, I asked him, kind of cheekily, because I, I felt confident going into the game, and I, I asked him kind of cheekily, and I said, how are you feeling? How are you feeling ahead of the game? And he said, I never felt so inferior going into a Clásico de Avellaneda in my life. And I thought that was a, quite a, a, a statement. And in the end, when we were coming back from, from the stadium, we were in, in the car, and he was singing, he was really in a good mood, and I was like, oh my God, it, it was a great opportunity to score Three or four, we didn't. That actually says everything about this game, though, because an Independiente fan, you know, say, five years ago, six years ago, even two years ago, they'd never sing a draw against Racing because they'd almost expect to win. You look at the record in the Clásico, they expect to win. The fact that they came away from a Clásico where they'd gone down and then managed to sneak a goal and then sort of had chances to lose it, and they came away absolutely overjoyed and singing, like, it kind of says who's the better team at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, Racing continue to be undefeated, but uh, no. not happy about it in this case. And yeah, now uh, five points behind Boca at six, the top of it. Six points, six. of course, yeah. Yeah, that but was uh, another thing, I and mean, maybe this to, to start talking about other teams and other matches. Uh, one thought that crossed my mind uh, near the end of the game, I thought, all right, what an easy championship Boca are going to win. Because... <laughs> Everybody's making it really easy for them. I mean, they're they're really helping their cause, and I, I always thought they were <coughs> favorites and candidates for this title. And they have uh, twenty matches undefeated, uh, an impressive run coming from the, the last Apertura, uh, sorry, Clausura, and now uh, all the chasers are dropping points. Yeah. Uh, that you, you wouldn't expect them to... And it's important to know that we just passed the halfway point of the season as well. Yeah. Which always Tenth comes, week. comes yeah. up so quickly in a, in a short chat. And there's nobody. Vélez... No, Rafaela is the second team, five, five points behind, I think. And as we've talked about, we don't know if they're really in it for the long haul kind of thing. Um, I, thought another, I thought in a way that, that it was kind of summed up the relative easiness of this championship by the match that happened right after the Alves Chanel Clásico, which was Boca's game. When Bocken knew, with Racing not being top, that they had the chance to extend their lead, and they ended up winning one 0 against Tigre with an own goal. After what was it, halfway through the yeah, yeah. roughly halfway through yeah. the, the minutes, maybe. Um, yeah, and the fact that that was with an own goal. I mean, Bocken did well. They didn't play, you know, particularly magnificently. Uh, I don't know if anybody did actually this weekend. Um, and, and that really summed it up, the, the fact that it seems to be as much other... Because if Tigre had won that game, they would have been two points behind Boca, was it? And they were talking, you know, confidently going into the match as well. well. Yeah, all, all the way through the week, all of Tigre's team were going, we know, we think we've got a chance to get a good result here, even though it's La Bombonera and everything. And Well, the, a lot of the talk was about the Roman versus Roman. The, the Tigre playmaker is also uh, Roman Martinez. Really, really good this year. Uh, and so one of the reasons for Tigre's really good form but yeah he was just completely outclassed by by the number one Roman uh, hmm. uh, Riquelme hmm. yeah and I thought the difference between Boca and Racing who are who most people in the media are tipping for, for the title is that Boca really know uh, they, they really know how to play when they're 1-0 up and they, they are really practical and, and they know how to close games and that is something that Racing have been failing to do but I, I still think with, with these two teams still having to play each other, Boca have probably chance of dropping points somewhere along the line. Uh, well, so, uh, somebody, I wouldn't be ruling out. They still have to play. Well, no, they have to play Vélez mm-hmm. away, which is I don't know. It's hard to tell. But then they, they do have to play away in Mendoza to go to Cruz, and they have to play away to they have to play away to Colón, I think. Which and they have Racing at home. Which right, so you know, it's, it's not, not impossible. Yeah. 
Yeah, for us it is not an easy end of the season either. Last game of the season is Vélez, but you still have to play Lanús, Boca of course. Estudiantes. Estudiantes. Which is never an easy game for Racing. But I guess what Racing will be hoping will when they play that famous match in the 15th round that you keep talking about, Sabo, that will want to be with it. If they're within three points, it's it's going to be interesting. Three or four points, yeah. It's definitely... Also Mark, something that, you know, with all the I mean we're having I think one of the most boring seasons in Argentinian football. There's a difference between low quality and boring. I'm sorry but I need to get Bucker at all. I would agree. Well, see, <laughs> I it's it's funny because for all of us who are well known. There no. is no... They, look, we're missing no, sure, out. A, a lack of big-name clubs doesn't equal a boring season. If you were beating Boca, then you'd have, what, the top six clubs or so within three points of each other. Yeah. How's that boring? It's, but no, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, I'm rather The quality of football isn't great, but... I, mean, I think it's interesting. I know how, how they decide. Perhaps for us as, as international journalists, and not none of us are Boca fans or whatever, but we, we would probably consider this current league as a, as a lower quality than the last few seasons. Whereas the Argentinian press, I think a lot of that was the opposite because there was no Boca River at the top <laughs> when Vélez and Estudiantes were winning everything. It, they kept talking about, oh, it's a low-quality championship at the moment. Mm. Whereas at the moment, Boca's top True. and everything's great. And, you know, like, it's and not only that, but another of the big five are somewhere in the chasing yeah. Yeah. Um So if you looked at the Argentinian media, everything's, you know, this is an exciting championship or, you know, it's great that Boca's doing well. Yeah, they Whereas always tend to do that. Whatever, they always, they always find the reason to say, oh, this is the most exciting tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, We're all journalists. Still, we know yeah. how to actually spin the truth. Yeah. I, mean, I can say that a team like right. Belgrano yeah. playing in the first division is something to celebrate because they are from the second biggest city in the country, and it was weird that yeah, Argentina football and they have a massive fan base. I think it's brilliant that Belgrano, and I think they've got some quality players, yeah. and they've added something. To the league, definitely. I don't know. I mean, I'm watching games. I no, don't consider I myself a big football expert. Mm. The quality of football is not worth no, I watching. I agree that the quality has dropped in, but I would just put that down to so many players leaving. I would, like, if five or six of the best players in the league leave in the offseason, the quality dips. And I can't help wondering when you know, we've also mentioned many times this season about how Venice have been so affected by their oh. uh, three. Three big transfers already: Martinez, uh, Morales, and um, no, sorry, not Martinez, Morales, <laughs> Silva, and uh, the other guy, Ricky Alves, yeah. um, all leaving to Italy. You know, you almost kind of think, well, if, if Vélez was still playing decent football, yeah, they were such a big part, really, last season of, of, of the good football that was being played. And also, they have a great team. I went to yeah. Vélez San Lorenzo game last week, and I interviewed Carlos Bianchi. Hello. <laughs> and we were talking about Vélez in general. It's one of the rarest Argentine teams that has never been bankrupt or anything. It's a club club, and they have infrastructure. And everybody linked with the club just loves to tell you that all the yeah, time. Yeah, but Bianchi, I don't think he's a guy who will make comments just to defend No, it is true. It is one of the best. We've talked about it before. It's one of the best run clubs. Them and Lanús are probably up there with the yeah. best yeah. 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 Um, because they're both neighborhood clubs, not yeah. only football, but they have a base of uh, different sports yeah. under their belt, and pe their fan base hmm. is incredibly loyal to them. Hmm. And they have, they have, you know, young people growing within the team. And we were interviewing um, a couple of um, trainers, and they're like, "Listen, these guys left." With just mentioned that you know the three of the biggest players from last season are gone. And they're like, you know what? We have 25 more coming. Yeah. Oh, a club in Argentina to say that today, I think it's an important detail that I, that is worth mentioning. And I, I think a good a good exercise uh, that we could we could all do and listeners too is to think how are how the Argentine teams would look if our economy was as strong as Brazil. Yeah. And to think, for example, uh, well, Gabriel Milito returned maybe a couple of years after he was at his prime, but what if Kun Agüero was playing for Independiente and the keeper was Ustari? And what if Diego Milito and Lisandro Lopez were at Racing with Sergio Romero playing as a keeper? I mean, that, that would be the, 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 the best way to understand how big an impact is uh, this economy, yeah. this, this 
weak economy having on the league, and, and that's something we, we should never overlook. I mean, that, that's the main reason. Corruption what, what if in the in the club management. Yeah. Manage. What, what's yeah, if? That's, that's a point. There wouldn't yeah. still be that here now anyway. By a long way, but what if uh, Pastore and De Federico had stayed at Huracan for another 12 months? Yeah, yeah, that too. And perhaps not even, you know, the very best names, we, if we weren't talking about, say, the Cunagueros or the Messis or, you know, the Pastores, even kind of the second tier players in Europe who, and, mm. who used to play in Argentina, you know, um, say Jose Sosa, who's playing in Napoli now, I believe, and he's playing in Stoyantes, and players in that. Um, that level, say, uh, Colocini, Perotti, mm. Piatti, these kind of players. Sosa left Napoli, he's playing in Russia, but yeah, he's, yeah. he was uh, Napoli. Yeah. Even our dear friend Emiliano in Sua came back. No, but for yeah. example, take, that take, kind of, take that kind of second tier player, they might choose to, if the, economy, if the economy was stronger, they might choose to stay in Argentina, of course. rather than go to Europe and play for a Portuguese or a Russian side, you know. But the difference is huge, guys. Oh, I mean, the dip, yeah, there's a I long, mean, Brazil. Looked like they were going to have a much better economy in the last 20 years, where Argentina always struggles to. Um, they cannot compete with Brazil anymore. Oh, we, but then we know that not with Europe, right, because millions of euros versus peso. Come on. But then for Argentina, you have, you, to as well, you have to remember in Argentina as well. The entire country went bankrupt only 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, it's on the recovery. It's obviously going to take a long yeah. time and everything else. I don't think it's going to recover, though, because we, we the world is problems. now going bankrupt. Not only, I mean, yeah. we might... Plus it's ending next year. Though. Yeah, it's ending. <laughs> <laughs> so one, of, one of the matches this weekend, actually, I think it was the Belas game, kicked off three minutes earlier than scheduled, right. which I think is proof that the world is going to be ending. Right, yeah. <laughs> but then again, the wrestling kicked off about ten minutes late, and then yeah. it kicked off for half-time about twenty minutes late, so... Balance, I think, was restored in that case. Was, but I think the kickoff was ten minutes late, because they shot an Independiente well, fan. Yeah. A wrestling no, fan. They Independiente almost, shot a wrestling, a wrestling fan. fan, yeah. And uh, Paisota, my dear friend. I mean, I've been to like okay, fifteen games last season. Yeah. I think 12, Pesota was the referee. This is one of the better referees. There's a you lot think? Of I don't think he likes wrestling at all. Though. No one likes wrestling. We've discussed this <laughs> at length. <laughs> all of the referees are against known and well No, but that's why I thought that he was going to decide whether or not they were going to um, call it a... They were not going to go with right. the game or not. No, the but the fun was shot in the... Outside. Yeah, yeah outside. In, in La Cuna. In a, in a yeah, bar outside about yeah. three hours before kicking. And he was okay. He, he got he, shot in the ass and he was pretty yeah. much alright, yeah. yeah. That's okay. I think it's probably the one case I've actually used the phrase in my life, you know. That was fine. He was shot in the ass, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you think better in the ass than the gut. If <laughs> I'd never thought I'd use that phrase before coming to Argentina and getting involved <laughs> with a football club, but, you know. It's Things maximum, change, people change. It's the maximum I feel we can all live by. Better in the ass than the I'm going to put the microphone down now because we've recorded for a while and we've got one last segment to do. Um, I'm going to play some music and when we come back we're going to talk, I think, briefly about uh, Astley and Australian Downs trip to San Lorenzo Stadium at the weekend and then we'll get on to the, the subject of the national team. Mystic Dan theme music this week. Um, I suppose we'll play it in a minute if, if you, oh, if please. you really want to. Yeah. Um, that's because there are no Apertura matches this weekend. So there are just the internationals. So the, the Apertura recommences in just under two weeks. Now, last week we, we had a bit of a complaint from a couple of listeners on the fact that neither me nor Dan, myself being a River fan and Dan being a Ferro Carril Oeste fan, had mentioned the fact that this weekend our two teams played each other in the second flight. I think a preview of that would have been a bit much, but Dan and indeed Astley did go to the game. Um, it was in San Lorenzo Stadium. Oh, which has a shitty place to be. <laughs> I'm really glad you said that, because the area that it's in has a bit of a, a reputation for being a, I mean, how a cheap are you to build a stadium in a dance 
Pirate. I speak as someone who doesn't particularly like San Lorenzo, but that's a bit close to the bone given the circumstances around why they no, built that. No, but didn't they, didn't they have a better stadium somewhere and they saw that area and then they had to build it I over guess there? So this is a very touchy issue with the fans. Really? Um, they didn't exactly choose to sell. Yeah. They were forced by the dictatorship that was ruling. The oh, country. really? Yeah. Is it because of all the dictatorship? Yeah, well. Para! Para, <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're being rude to me. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to explain. That, that was to the dog, just to clarify. Oh, okay. And now you're calling me a dog. I treat people like dogs. Like anyway, the location of San Lorenzo Stadium. We'll try and deal with it another time, but. Yeah. Um, Maybe we can. To very, briefly, to very briefly explain to Ashley that they pretty much were obliged to sell it to Gallery Forder, which is why there's now a stadium on the, uh, a, a supermarket on the site. And they spent 14 years without a home stadium. They played at River, they played at Ferro, I think. They, they played at Oracan and elsewhere. And so when the Nuevo Gasometro was eventually built, it was it was a big thing for the club. The fans now are, are trying to mobilise and get behind a movement to buy the original site back. Um, yeah. that, that's why it's in such a shitty area. But the match, if we could move on, um, River, of course, have played a few home games in San Lorenzo's ground this season due to the closure of the Monumental, which I think they're going back into after the next home game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but this was actually a Ferro home game played in San Lorenzo because the away end at Ferro wasn't ready, I guess. Or I actually think it is ready now. It hasn't been, but I think it, they can actually uh, accept away fans at the moment. But... You know, they wanted to make maximize profits and stuff, and, and so they it took was it. not gonna. They're not gonna fit there. You told me that you've never seen so many Pharaoh. No, fans. no, absolutely. That's why. That's why they. It was uh, like ten thousand Pharaoh fans. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. The typical. It's got what? Pharaoh stadium has seven thousand, eight thousand capacity. No, no. It can hold a lot more than that, but I mean, generally the the uh, the, the popular will hold two or three thousand, and then you know, another two or three thousand in the in the plateaus mm-hmm. in a typical game. A bit more, maybe. Um, but yeah, this, this was a it was, it was fantastic. Actually, we, I went with with Asla and her, her crew to the, the all the buses were meeting at the in front of the uh, the Federal Stadium. It was just a massive party. It was it was huge. Like uh, uh, people setting off the flares and then and, and dancing and singing and setting off you know firecrackers and stuff in Kawashito. And then everybody got on ten or fifteen buses and and took off to the stadium in San Lorenzo. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a and as I said on Asla's show, it's like a, I think there's a, a similar thing for all these teams who are playing River in the second division, especially teams like Ferro or Chacarita or these guys who feel like they're a big club, but they've been out of the first division for a while. Uh, it's, it was a huge party for them. And so in the game itself, we watched the entire game, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, Ferro actually probably had the better of the game, I think. Um, with yeah, no, sure, we'll cut that. Um, no, I think Ferro had the better of the game. Um, they played quite well. Ferro had a decent team this year, without being anything spectacular. But they've uh, they've got a young uh, number five, uh, Lertora, who's apparently on his way to England. I can't can't find out where. I keep asking people, but yeah, he's, he's on his way to England in December, I think. Um, he, he's, a, he's been a pro- he's, a he's going to study English in Brighton, I think. Possibly. <laughs> I think um, I'm actually giving him English lessons. He's not going there to play. But <laughs> no, they, they, we talk about him. I should as, make money out of that, like teaching English to football players who are about to be transferred outside. Not bad money. Anyway, like it ended up a zero-zero game, um, or nil all, as we say in English. Um, but yeah, Ferro did well. Um, good result for Ferro, and that's all I have to say about it. It was, yeah. a, it was a bit of a special occasion, and you could you could feel it. And these are two teams that used to play for championship deciders uh, in the eighties. Eighty four, right? Yeah, well, I, I remember. Everybody I still talked remember. about that because yeah. we were asking people. Well, older. The, the, team, the, the team that Ferro won undefeated, mm. uh, one of the, the, the benchmark sides of. of Argentinian football. Yeah, they they already graffitied the entire stadium. Yeah, that was good. Like you, you saw that because they, they had the popular of the San Lorenzo Stadium, and at the back they they used chalk to because you know in the Federal Stadium or all the stadiums you have your you know like all your little tributes to the, the titles you've won and the famous players, and so they'd done all that in chalk at the back of the, <laughs> the stadium to make it kind of like a home game, mm-hmm. which was fun. Plus, there's also quite a rivalry between Ferro and San Lorenzo. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to talk about those particular particular matches in the 80s but it felt like a homecoming to Ferro in, in a way like we're playing 
We're no, playing no. River again. We, we, we couldn't get to the first division yet, but <laughs> so we're, 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 we're playing. No, that was totally the, the, the atmosphere I was, I was trying to express. It was, you know, it, was, it was a big, big occasion. And, um, I think even if Ferro got uh, promoted in the next couple of years, I don't think you'd even see that many fans going to a, to a match yeah. as, as we saw yeah. on the weekend because it was, it was just a massive... Yeah. This is similar to what we're going to see, I think, throughout the season when yeah, they exactly. play away. Moving on briefly, if I, I've just mentioned a couple of things because we've talked about uh, Federer and about the game itself. The River season so far, from the point of view of a River fan, has been uh, the performances haven't really been fantastic, I, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but the results are coming, which is obviously the most important thing when they want to get promoted straight back. They've drawn four and won four so far out of eight matches and Almeida has kind of said I mentioned earlier that he was saying that there's better football played in the second division I'm not, I, I think he was just trying to make Boca jealous of the fact that River are top of the second division rather than the first or something but yeah I, I think it's promising in terms of winning promotion again and I think it's very much what Seba said at the start of the season the fact that really River's individual quality is showing so far because it, tactically they very much look like very much look like a team who are being managed by somebody who's never managed before. Um, which isn't to say that I think Almeida is completely useless. I, I think he's learning slowly on the job. But it's undeniable that Chori Dominguez, Fernando Cavanaki and, and so on have, have been the players to make the difference so far. I'm not really sure what else there is to say about that, really. It's... Uh, not much. I you know, we have listeners asking questions about it and there really isn't really much to say about Rivers' mm-hmm. campaign. That Not brilliant performances, but they're getting the results and... There are 30 yeah, games to go. I so. think they'll, they'll be comfortable. You know, as you said, they'll, they'll churn out victories and churn out just enough to, to win. I guess you could say it's pretty parallel to how Booker's season has gone so far in the Primera. Like, yeah. They've not been you know, setting the world on fire. There's not been any kind of thrashings, but they've been getting the results, winning by one or two goals, and that's what you need. You know, Their goal yeah. this year is to get promoted. And at the moment, they're absolutely on target. They're both undefeated. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't complain. Absolutely. We're going to, um, I, I will now play Mystic Dance music very briefly, and then he'll come in with a couple of very short predictions for the international break, and then we'll talk briefly about the, the Selección um, as they get ready to begin their competitive tenure under Alejandro Savela. This is a, a very special Mystic Dan this week because Australian Dan's just told us off air that he's going to pick not only the results but the score lines to make up for the fact that there are only two matches he's predicting. The first is on Friday, the second is on... Is it Tuesday? Tuesday. 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 Um, and it is, of course, Argentina versus Chile followed by Venezuela versus Argentina. So, Dan, take it away. Yeah, I think the, the first game is going to be a 2-1 to Argentina uh, with goals to, to Messi and Iwain. And who's going to score Chile's? Uh, Sanchez playing. He's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and the second game um, will be is away to Venezuela and, and a two 0 win to Argentina with with both goals from Messi. Wow! <laughs> so uh, very much predicting Messi to end his recent drought of, of scoring for Argentina. Yeah. Um, which he's talked about recently as well, the fact that he plays uh, in a deeper role for Argentina. So, like, he, he sort of, in a, not inadvertently, he, he hinted that he doesn't get the same sort of service, obviously, he doesn't get the same service he receives for Barcelona. So, like, it's, it's not, doesn't make sense for him to play so far forward. But he's, as we've talked about before, he has an incredible amount of assists for Argentina. And he's playing a bit deeper and he's creating a lot of goals. But no, I think in these two matches, um, the way Sabella plays, uh, we're going to see Messi possibly scoring a couple of goals as well. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I'm genuinely slightly excited about it because after having already seen several matches where Sabella's taken charge of either Argentina or a team pretending to be Argentina in the case of the Brazil games, um, we get to actually see how he deals with the competitive games. There was some talk, I had a bit of a discussion with um, one guy, who, an Argentine uh, football journalist living in London, um, about the fact that he felt that he, uh, Sabella pr- pr- approached the Brazil games wrong. He, he approached the Brazil games to try and win the tie um, when he should have been just trying to get Argentina to play the way Argentina normally play and that's how he'll get a better picture of the players. I disagreed with that. Um, of course, he, respectfully, I, I thought that yeah. 
the only way that he can approach it is, is to win it, and that's the best way that you'll get of an indicator. If he was going is. there to exchange to exchange punch for punch, we would have been hammered, like yeah. four or five nil, and people would have been already talking about Argentina needing another managerial change. And Precise. Which even you know some some of the comments you see on online now are already Charles Savela after what four games in charge. Well, the fact that he hasn't picked Riquelme has already. Well, yeah. but the thing is, it's not clear. But is it him not picking uh, Riquelme? Is it Riquelme or Boca trying to say, okay, no, no, don't pick him because, because, let's face it, he's been playing for Boca regularly this season, this this apertura for the first time in yeah, long, long time. No, I honestly think it's a case of him not just not picking him because he doesn't use a traditional playmaker so much. He has Pastore as a backup in case he wants to use that kind of player. So what's the point of having two guys on the bench who can fill that role just in case he wants yeah. to? Although I'd like to see Ibukin miss still. Now that he's found form again in, in kind of a Boca team, which obviously we've, we've talked, it's, not, it's a decent team, it's an adequate team, but it's not a well-beaten team. Yeah. I'd love to see him alongside Messi again and feeding in Higuain, feeding in Di Maria. I think at least to give him a try again at that top level, I think this was the perfect time to do it. I'm more an Australian dance side I think I think it's probably a combination of Boca preferring him not to play and Sabella not being too bothered about calling him up and I just think Riquelme is not going to be playing when we get to the next World Cup if he is still playing he'll have done very well but he certainly isn't going to be near the national team level and yeah, so what's the point in playing him at this point? I think there is a point I mean if, if you if you had to start your World Cup qualifying campaign three wins, years, three years yeah. before the competition, you know, be and he's the best now. Of course, yeah. of course, you can be because if not, you would you would be playing sixteen-year-old kids that will be yeah, nineteen and no, with a chance. On. Oh, you can play Javier Pastore. Why even you know put him in the World Cup? We're in 2011. I accept the argument that says they need the results at this point to get qualification, but. You're not going to be playing a 16-year-old kid if you decide to play with a playmaker. You're going to be playing Javier Pastore. Yeah, who is still unproven at yeah. the national team level. Solely because he's not been given chances. Yeah, because uh, that was, goes to my point before. I mean, he, his first choice is not playing a traditional number 10. So you you got one backup number 10. What's the point of having a, a guy with such a big personality like Raquel May sitting on the bench for one of these games? He probably, that's why he doesn't want to, he yeah. probably refuses for that same reason. And also, uh, as I said, I feel it's half, half and half, because I think some of it undeniably is, has to be the fact that Riquelme, like Seba Veron, who we've not really mentioned so far tonight, but who Ole had a big scoop this morning about the fact that Seba Veron is considering retiring at some point in the future. No, but there's a big uh, story for you. No, there's, there's, Both there's a story. No, but maybe the, the latest I heard is that he's After effectively Racing in the 13th round against Racing. He's yeah. going to be the, the, the last match he will play Which at is, the end of the month. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, but both of them are players who are now struggling, which is why Baron is taking this decision. Uh, who are now struggling to get through two or three matches per week, and so I think from that point of view you don't want to take Mikel on the national side when he might only play one of the two qualifiers why call him up for both obviously he's called Mascherano up who's suspended for the first but. as I say I'd have Mikel at least in the squad and yeah. I'd try him because I think what I've seen from Argentina ever since basically before the World Cup pretty much you could say since Mikel came out of the team they've got kind of the players playing midfield they've got the attacker but there's no one guy who'll just slow down the game and really kind of release people from the middle like that's not what Messi is he's a playmaker who always likes to be mobile and, but with Raquelme it gives you another person who's going to actually just stop and think about the game and then kind of change the, change the pace change the direction for me that's what Argentina have lacked in, in the Copa America in the World Cup someone just with that kind of brain to slow down the game and then get it going again I'd just completely out of curiosity at the least, I would have loved to see him to see him play. Now, the reason why I, I allow myself to doubt about the real reason why he's not there uh, is because Sabela is a fan of him, and he said yeah. it many times. He, he, he actually likes Riquelme. So, I couldn't think of another moment in, in, in the last six years, in, or four or five years, maybe 2007 and the Copa Libertadores, when, when he was great, probably in the form of his life. But after that, he has to be well, right now. I think we might see him if, if say, we'll see how we go with these two qualifiers. We had, 
Sabala has talked about how he wants to play with Iguain, Sosa, and Messi as their attacking three. Um, if that doesn't go so well, I think we'll see Riquelme in, in other qualifiers because I don't think he's been discarded or, by any means, no. if he's still fit. But I think Sabala would like to see if this works because you bring Riquelme into the team and it's a lot of the team is, is the whole team is running through him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's, it's a big commitment to bring him into the team. Yeah, yeah. Knowing he might, he probably won't be there in, in 2014. I wonder, would that just kind of throwing something out a little little theory, man? I like to do this every now and then. Would that not help Messi kind of just to take the pressure off him? Because I think we've seen the best of Messi in national colours when Riquelme's been in the team. Because maybe he doesn't feel like the whole weight of him to start the game, you know, start the plays, create everything, and then also finish him off is on his shoulders. Yeah, but I mean, wasn't there way before Messi actually created um, personality? Maybe now they're two well, big egos in the field. No, no, no you can go back to 2009 when the team I don't know if Messi can take Riquelme now. Is he? No, I don't think Messi. No, I don't. I don't think always like completely yeah. politically correct with all that stuff, where he says, "Yeah, I'd love to play beside Riquelme and all this sort of stuff." There's something you say. There's something you feel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think he might different. be overstating Messi's ego slightly yeah. as well. Messi, as, as I've said before several times on, on this podcast, I think Messi plays more for the team than mm. for than any other member of Argentina's national side. Well, you'd have to say, I think Riquelme is a more mature figure and Riquelme is far more likely to concede, OK, this, this side has to be built around Messi. But it isn't necessarily to do with what the player recognises in his own head it's to do with the style of football that he plays no, for me I, mean, I kind of agree with both sides of this argument here whereas I, I think Riquelme can play in the team and help Messi definitely if Riquelme is there Messi will, will play better the point is I don't think Riquelme is going to be there in 2014 so even if he does for a couple of qualifiers or you know, a few uh, improve Messi's game that, uh, that doesn't help Argentina in the long term but then the case for me is that I think a lot of people and we're probably guilty of this as, to some extent a lot of people are expecting Argentina to kind of strive through these qualifiers. We saw in the Copa America that the level between all the teams has yeah. narrowed, so, narrowed so much that Argentina can't expect to go to Caracas on Tuesday and roll over Venezuela. Nope. They know that they're going to have a hell of a game. They well, can't I said expect. It's going to be 2 0. Dan expects it, but uh, maybe we shouldn't. It's a prediction. So. I, I think it's def- there's yeah. definitely something yeah. in it. Yeah. They, they have to focus on. Winning every single qualifier, they can't. No, no, I agree totally. Three years in the future, because yeah. every single game in this competition is going to be a battle. Yeah. They can't be thinking of three years when they need the players to win them games. No. But yeah, I, I agree totally. But I still, it still goes back to the point where I think Sabella's plan A is not to not to play with a Riquelme type player. So to bring him along for these two qualifiers as a bench player, I don't think there's any much yeah. point. Uh, about the lineup, the, the possible lineup, I read today. He, it's probably going to be a three-five-two again. I saw the name of Di Maria not there, okay. and I was happy. You did a about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I punched <laughs> the air. I thought that was a little skipping your step to that. Even, so, even after the classical draw, you seemed rather <laughs> chipper. It was nice. So I think uh, Otamendi. Well, what I read was uh, Otamendi, uh, De Michelis, and Burdizo in the back three. Rojo on the left. Sabaleta on the right, and then Brania was going to be oh. the one replacing Mascherano. Mm. Really? He's looking very estudiantes. Rather than Sabela's estudiantes. Uh, sure. This was another thing about the squad. So, yeah. Sorry. I have no problems with Brania, I have to be honest. No, he's, because, he's no sure, but when you've got Ronaldo in the same squad as well. I don't know. I don't know. Who were the other. The other two midfielders and the two forwards. Can you remember? Um, Banigas, I'm guessing was that. I think I think was one. Oh, you got me there, right? Well, Sosa, Messi, and So kind of three-five-two that could turn into a three-four-three almost if if Sosa moves on. I'm kind of interested because, as, as we said, one of the things that Copa America showed us is that this World Cup qualifier, especially without Brazil, is going to be really even it's not going to be easy for anybody and it's going to be very open I don't think there are any sides who are going to start it feeling that they're already eliminated as Peru did before as Venezuela well, already before. qualified to turn it around yeah of course um, and yeah it, it's going to be interesting and I'm almost tempted to ask who we think is going to qualify except that with so many managers having changed as well since the Copa America 
I think what we might do is try and make a couple of predictions each of us next next week after we've seen both matches. No, you had to you had to do it now before the okay. season starts. <laughs> so yeah, even in that if you're case, not ready, if you, even if you haven't if you haven't prepared. Right. In that case, Seba, you're going to do this first. Who are the who are the four and a half teams who are going to qualify? For Brazil. Brazil? Well, I'll tell you: Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia, and Chile. Ashley, ah, well, there's another one for the playoffs. Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Paraguay. Okay. Sorry, Ralph, I almost forgot about your your cheeky boys. Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay. Brazil have qualified. I mean, said that as a joke, but okay. Um, then I'll be Uruguay, Paraguay, Pino Tinto. Okay. Pino Tinto and... That's an interesting top three. And then I'll do Argentina, of course. Yeah. I fourth. mean... Who's going to get the playoff? It's hard to tell because <laughs> I'm not sure it could be. This is why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Bolivia. Okay. Uh, Australia, no? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I go for... I think I go for Colombia, Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina. I think we'll finish maybe third or fourth, and uh, and the half team I think will be uh, who are the other teams? Venezuela. I'll say. I remember, I'd just like to say I was trying to do this next week. Couldn't say it was yeah. I'm gonna go for Colombia at the top because I think they're gonna come very good. Then Argentina, Uruguay, fourth or fifth is it? Bastard of a <laughs> Paraguay, then Chile. Oh, I forgot Chile. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why nobody said Chile. I'm, I'm going with. Um, I'm going to go with Argentina, Uruguay as one, two. I don't know in what order. Um, I'll go with with Paraguay and Chile to finish in the other two spots, and probably with Colombia to get the playoff place. So those are my predictions. On which note. We've recorded for way over an hour and a half. I'm not looking forward to editing this at all. Um, but Even I would like to say... You mean with the dog pissing on the carpet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just the yeah. If the dog is not going out, he's going to take a dump on the carpet. <laughs> okay. Also, I'm going to ask you... And, and we do have to say that um, so far our audience demographics on SoundCloud have showed that the episodes that are over an hour long have, have been the most listened to. So, uh, it's not all of it. No, no, surprisingly not. Um, anyway, well, Ashley, first of all, thank you very much for having us again. It's been a pleasure, and um, please say goodbye now to our, our lovely listeners. Thank you for having me again, and goodbye. And Until next Vinicius time. As well. Vinicius? Whoa, whoa. He's just licking the microphone. Uh, Seba, you're already in your jacket. Why don't you Muchas gracias. Yeah, I'm about to leave. Thanks. Seba was also licking the microphone. English, Dad? It was an absolute pleasure to be in Nasla's hey. house. Good night to all. And Australian now. Absolute pleasure and good night. Um, from me as well. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.